0: We believe that alcoholism is a disease and that Alcoholics Anonymous is one solution to that disease. I'm here to bring you the voices of its members. Everyone that comes on the show, including myself, is an active member and has found recovery in the rooms of AA. As you listen, please take what works for you and leave the rest.
1: Hi, my name is Lily and I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is January 22nd, 2019, and I just want to start off with, you know, sharing how I grew up, and I I also want to, like, highlight that it's not what happened to me that makes me an alcoholic, because I really believe that even if I had a perfect life, a perfect upbringing, I, I definitely believe I'd still be an alcoholic, but also there's no such thing as perfect, too, so... Let's see. So, at first, I first had alcohol, I think I was 16 at a friend's party. And I remember at the time I didn't get drunk, but I remember just thinking that, you know, holding a beer in my hand just transformed me in a second. Like it made me skinnier and prettier and more charming and more just more attractive, everything that you want to be at 16. And I remember, though, that when I did drink, again, I didn't get drunk, but I made a complete fool of myself. I danced with someone else's boyfriend, which in high school is that was like a cardinal sin (laughs) and just unforgivable. And I mean, it's you know, I would hate to do that even now. But I just looking back at that, it just goes to show that when I drink, I, you know, I don't have control over what I do. And then going from there, too. I remember high school was a very like just tumultuous time, like how it is for everybody. I moved schools a lot and I was just never comfortable in my skin for as long as I could remember. I remember like even being, you know, just backtracking a lot. I remember being four years old and just, just already silently judging everyone around me and like hating my own skin and always feeling just negative. And I would just blame my parents for everything. So I was four years old judging my mom and dad for how they parent, but not realizing that, hello, I was four years old. I've never had a kid, no life experience. And yet I thought I could do a better job at raising me than my own parents. Just, I just had a lot of stuff like that going on, like where I just my mindset has always been an alcoholic's mindset and even like again at four years old I remember just playing with cousins and just I would get lost in my thoughts and kind of just start thinking like hmm how can all my other cousins play and act like nothing's wrong like don't they see that you know our lives are pretty pretty terrible and you know we didn't grow up well off we like I said moved every year my mom looking back, I mean, I don't want to diagnose her, but she did have, you know, problems with money, with gambling, with making rent. And that was a huge source of just stress for my parents and my family. I remember there's times where it'd be a dozen of us living in a two bedroom apartment with one bathroom. And I mean, of course, now it's like, I see that my mom and dad were just, they were doing the best they could with what they knew they were thrust with a lot of responsibility, unexpected responsibility, because I was adopted. They adopted me when I was a newborn. And it was because, you know, they were foster parents. And my birth mother is schizophrenic. So then that's why I was taken out of her custody. So yeah, my mom and dad raised me. And, you know, I'm really blessed. In that sense, I feel like I've won the lottery because you know, most kids don't end up getting adopted and I'm really close to my mom and dad today because of the program. But again, I just want to keep, you know, explaining where I come from because all of that has made me who I am today. So yeah, I was just such an angry kid. I was angry. I was like, man, why didn't Angelina Jolie adopt me so I could be a millionaire? And, but then looking back, it's like, you know, like life just happens. And my mom and dad didn't know that when I was four years old, my, that my older sister would Frank you know just leave her kids with my mom and dad and basically my mom and dad so raised my niece and nephew they raised all of us together for a couple of years with no financial support from their parents and at the same time like my parents were taking care of my mom's mom my grandma who had Alzheimer's was bedridden and you know had to be spoon fed and had her diapers changed and speaking of my grandma like I was such an anxiety-ridden child that I remember learning about, like, earthquake drills in school and just thinking, like, oh, my God, how are we going to get my grandma down from the apartment if there's an earthquake because we're on the second floor? And so just even as a kid, I just had these alcoholic thoughts. So we had all that going on. And then I had my, like siblings coming in and out of the house because my parents remarried. They had children from other marriages. I'm the youngest of a big family. My siblings are a lot older than me. So then growing up again, like I, I othered myself. I made myself feel like an outcast in my family when really I was, I had been chosen to be a part of that family. You know, I had been adopted, but as a kid, I just always when at family parties surrounded by all my loved ones. I'd still feel lonely and think wow i'm the only one here you know who's adopted i'm the only one here who doesn't have a full sibling full blooded sibling i'm the only one here who has a sibling who's 15 years older than her and all my siblings are at least 15 years older than me so yeah i just you know right off the bat i just think oh poor me poor me poor me like look at all these things that suck in my life and i just i never stopped to think about anything positive and about all the blessings that i was given So fast forward a little, I guess, to like eight years old. I just have very clear memories of crying myself to sleep at night because I was adopted. And I think I probably had depression and anxiety, you know, as a kid. Also, being being adopted, that's a huge part of my story because I struggled with it growing up. I learned when I was four years old from a cousin. She told me that I was adopted. And I remember like kind of asking my parents all throughout my childhood, you know, wanting just to hear the truth just, I guess, just to have my emotions validated or something, maybe my ego. But basically, like, you know, as I got older, my mom explained to me that, you know, at the time, the social worker believed the, the best school of thought was just to wait until I was an adult. But growing up, like, I, you know, I had no idea about that. And I made up my own, like, crazy theories. And I just kept thinking, oh, they don't love me enough to tell the truth when, when, you know, I'm not a parent now. But because of being in the AA rooms, I'm hearing, you know, parents share and I'm barely realizing that, wow, being a parent is one of the most difficult and important jobs in the world. And people don't just adopt a kid, you know, lightly. So I'm so thankful to learn that from AA because I'm stubborn. I'm slow. I'm forgetful. And I hate to sound so negative, but I'm just like reflecting on my, you know, negative past. Let's see. So I get a little older and just, again, things are rough. and then. You know, there was this uh, really just bleak point. I remember being like 16. I just remember, you know, I was just changing in my room and I I turn around and I see my dad watching me change. And this is something that has taken, yeah, 10 years because I'm 26 now to be able to openly talk about because, you know, at the time I was just in shock. I was angry, of course, because I'd always been a daddy's girl when I and spoiled, honestly. Like the second my mom got upset, I'd run to my dad and I just saw my dad as this fun, carefree guy. And, but then, you know, that, that just broke something in me at that point. And, but then I stuffed it. I, I never, I remember, um, just never really seeking like help for it because I would just, I would just make excuses in my mind and rationalize and think, you know what, maybe this isn't that big of a deal because, you know, there's worse cases out there. I wasn't raped, I wasn't molested, I wasn't all this and that. But now I see that, you know, that was very abusive. That was my dad crossing the line and, you know, disrespecting my boundaries. And so from that point on, I, I think that's what I kind of just shut myself out and started numbing myself because before then I was just I guess yeah, more childlike, like out very vocal about my emotions and how I feel. But around that time is when I started like just using alcohol as a solution because that was the summer before my senior year of high school. And I remember senior year, there was just, it was one month, but I remember, no, maybe a few months, but it was, it was a short period where I remember I just lived for the weekend because I lived to drink during that portion of senior year. I was just, texting everyone i know looking for every party that i could go to it didn't matter if i knew them or not i just i wanted to drink and at 16 17 it's kind of hard to get drinks especially since you know i didn't know the cool people who had the drinks on them (laughs) so and now like looking back i see it's like i was you know i didn't want to feel i didn't want to deal with those emotions of my you know my dad betraying me and then i'll fast forward a little more i just i isolated and i started dating this guy who was definitely most likely like an alcoholic. You know, he drank more than me, partied more than me. And he was a little older. So, I mean, at the time I knew I was just dating him so I could get alcohol. And and I knew I shouldn't have been with him because I had always been this little goody, like really just goody two-shoes, straight A's kind of kid who was just always like in, you know, in the background. He was the last person I'd even expect for myself to date. And that relationship quickly turned abusive, physically, mentally, all of it. And and again, like it was just me living in insanity and chaos, just you know drinking and partying on weekends and trying to trying to fix that boyfriend, trying to just point out all the wrong things in him to to so that I didn't have to look at myself. So I was newly dating him and time goes by again. And then this is the summer before college where I ended up getting pregnant. And, you know, I was, how old was I? Like 18. Yeah. It just turned 18 and I got pregnant. And that, that was just something that I, at the time was just really disappointed in myself. I had this huge ego and just at the time was thinking terrible things, like thinking like, oh God, like how could I end up like everyone else in my family, pregnant before twenty-one when when really children are a blessing? And but I just, you know, I had those toxic thoughts and judgy judgmental thoughts and yet, you know, failing to realize like it was it was just a symptom of me not loving myself or respecting myself because, you know, I didn't use protection and I, I knew off the bat that I didn't want to have a child. I, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get a degree. I wanted to, you know, just become middle-class and not have to worry about bills or where I'm going to live and, or about food because growing up, those were things that we were constantly worrying about. You know, I, I contemplated with putting the kid up for adoption, like, you know, and getting adopted like I had been, but I just, I wasn't strong enough or I just, you know, it wasn't the right decision for me where I knew I couldn't, I couldn't just deal with the rap, like the ramifications of being pregnant of just the judgment of other people, even though that shouldn't matter. So I got an abortion at eight weeks and it's, it's, it's still so clear to me because the doctor, I remember the doctor asking me if I wanted to know the gender. And I remember just saying no right away. And again, like just stuffing all those feelings, that time though I was so great at stuffing my feelings that I you know I honestly didn't feel sad it was just more of shock shame it felt like I was out of my body kind of watching myself from the ceiling looking down at myself talking with that doctor and so yeah I got that abortion went to college and and then you know finally like um, left that boyfriend which took a while and then You know, I realized that my addiction likes to just transfer. So I'm addicted to alcohol, and I'm addicted, I'm codependent, addicted to men. And so instead of being addicted to that, um, to that boyfriend, I switched my addiction, changed it to school. I would just, you know, study all the time, take no breaks, get burnt out, um, throw myself into school, and basically just like I, I. like to turn myself into this hamster on a wheel chasing something and then as soon as i got that thing i would kind of just like move on to the next thing so in college i i you know honestly like it was unhealthy but i like you know i cheated and did things i wasn't proud of used people and just just did whatever it took to you know just get what i wanted and so eventually you know i got this internship which led to a job and And as soon as I got that, I just gave up on school, coasted through it, managed to graduate, and then before graduating, though, I do want to mention that I think it had to be like March. I, I just I went to school because I had been going to the school therapist, which is um, such a great thing that was included in the tuition, and I was just hysterical and I was just crying and. You know, the therapist tells me to wait for a second. She leaves, comes back in with with a police officer. And I was just like, wait, what's happening? And she tells me, like, you know, like, you're, I have to put you on an involuntary 72-hour mental hold. So I was getting sent to a mental hospital because I had suicidal ideation. And I was so great at stuffing my feelings and not feeling and not wanting to even, you know, just, I didn't want to think that I I didn't even realize I was suicidal. And, but I was, you know, wanting to die, not wanting to wake up, just wanting to go to sleep forever. That's not things that a healthy person thinks. And yet that's all I was thinking at 21. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it's because just a few months before that, I, I tried ecstasy for the first time. And I didn't know that, you know, that's, because I just thought, oh, it's just a party drug, you know. A lot of people I know take it. It's so common. It's like with you know Coachella and EDM and raves for people to take ecstasy. But so I just made up all these excuses. And then I remember for a week after that, doing like taking ecstasy for the first time. I just I was in my room in my bed. Only left my room to use the restroom or you know have a bite of something tiny to eat because I had no appetite and but I didn't know until I got to the mental hospital that that was me coming down. That was me withdrawing. And, you know, and so I was basically just like there, I was drinking a lot and just sad and all that. And then I'm just like creating a dumpster fire, adding more toxic stuff like ecstasy and more alcohol. And, and I, and that mental hospital stay, it was just, it's really, at the time I didn't think too much about it. I just, was like, okay, whatever, I guess I'm depressed, I need to go there, but I learned a lot there, and, you know, I learned that alcohol was a depressant, and, you know, if you're depressed, you're not supposed to drink alcohol, so, but also, so yeah, um, you know, in that mental hospital, that's the first time that I had been exposed to AA in person, like, I've heard about AA in movies, but, you know, I, no one in my adopted family is a, outspoken alcoholic Um, you know drinking is a big thing in my culture I come from an Asian family and um, well a Filipino family and on holidays like everyone likes to drink it's the culture but maybe they're functioning alcoholics Um, I don't know but what I do know is that I am an alcoholic and but when I first was introduced to AA I didn't take it seriously this woman came and had a meeting in the hospital and I remember just thinking like what why is she here? You know, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm just depressed, like, and even though I was in a room full of people sharing their experience with how, because the other, like, mental hospital patients were sharing how they did struggle with drugs and alcohol, but I was so just closed off to a higher power, just, I was just so closed off spiritually and emotionally that I wasn't, I guess I wasn't ready yet to accept that I was an alcoholic, so, so I leave that um, mental hospital, and just a few weeks later, I go to Coachella and I remember my friend asking me, like, hey, like, are you sure you wanna go? Maybe you shouldn't, because you know, you just got out of a mental hospital and yet I was so adamant about going. I was like, No, I have to go. Like it's God, it was just it was so silly. Like it's but I go and then I try Coke for the first time. I I try shrooms for the first time. My gosh, it was just it was <laughs> You know, at the time it was fun, but afterwards I, the consequences, I was just so more depressed than I had ever been afterwards, but yeah, I come back and then graduate, graduate school. And then I I get to travel a little bit, you know, I didn't have the money for it, but I just, you know, I took out, I, I racked up some debt so I could keep up and just, and travel and it was, it was me trying to put a band-aid because by this point, alcohol stopped working. I, for years when I drank, I got to escape and I got to be happy or, you know, like have a fake sort of happiness. But by that, by that summer, I summer of me turning 22, I just realized that, oh my goodness, alcohol's not working. So I felt just untethered and, and super hopeless. That's when I definitely felt the first, summer where I just felt all super hopeless because I'd felt depressed for years before that. But, you know, alcohol was just my trusty friend that I knew that, okay, I get to, I'll drink and then I'll relax and have that deep breath of relaxation. Um, so, yeah, so I take out some money like, and, and then I travel, I go to my family's home country for the first time and you know, I drink and, um, you know, I'll just be open. It's the Philippines and the Philippines is a beautiful country, but you know, I'm a young woman traveling and I ditched my family. I party with someone I barely know who like moved to the Philippines from LA and he went there for school and I just hit him up and I'm like, you know, where are you going tonight? I just, I wanted to go out and I didn't. And I just told my family, Hey, yeah, I'm going to go out. I'll be back in like an hour or two. But I don't come back till the next morning. I don't answer anyone's calls. My aunt, my mom and dad are just, you know, they're super, they're super worried. And of course they would be because, you know, the Philippines is honestly like um, most places are really unsafe. And so I, and that's what happens when I drink. I have no disregard for my safety. I don't care about myself at all. I end up in strange places and with strangers. I spend the night with that guy I barely know. And I didn't hook up with him, but I hooked up with a lot of random guys in my drinking. Um, And so, yeah, so that's just, I guess, an example of, you know, the hopelessness and insanity. And then and then so a little bit later, I'm just I end up traveling to Europe and I, you know, we're in Paris with some um, college friends and I sneak in this like gallon plastic bag of wine that I got from a grocery store, you know, to this Parisian bar. It's literally a once in a lifetime trip. And I get us kicked out because I get caught drinking that huge gallon of wine because I just thought hiding it under my shirt would work, which is just really stupid. And, and, you know, like I, I just was instigating. I was just, um, you know, forcing the drink in front of everyone's face. And, you know, I know that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't putting a gun to anyone's head to drink, but at the same time, I was not a great influence. I was not a, not being a good friend at all. And so I caused this, my one friend, or I just keep offering this one friend a drink. She gets really drunk and she trips and falls right by the, I think it's pronounced the Seine, the <laughs> River Seine, and she gets a concussion. And so... I mean, that's just something that I struggled with, like, especially, like, when I was newly sober, because, um, it was just really irresponsible of me. Like, thank God I didn't get the concussion, but it just goes to show that when I'm drinking and when I'm not working my program, I'm just this hurricane, hurricane lily going through and just creating destruction for everyone around me. Um, so this, okay, so I, after that trip, um, uh, I move out for the first time. I moved to near downtown L.A., um, and I feel like Bill W. in the story. Like, I literally, like, I was living in Echo Park, felt all cool. I was like, this is my dream. I've always wanted to be a hipster in L.A., <laughs> and and I was working, you know, in, in finance, in the skyscrapers, and just had a great job, and just, you know, my family was so proud. And yet, um, like I said, like, I felt like Bill W., like, I had arrived, but I, you know, I quickly, like, my drinking just got worse and I quickly got hit rock bottom. Like, again, another rock bottom. Um, and I would just blame my drinking on, like, you know, it's the culture. It's my works culture. Like, we go out to happy hour a lot. Everyone drinks a lot. We're all young in L.A. And, um, but you know, I just was just... Like in three months, I um, I quit the job, no two weeks notice, just one day wake up, like hungover, and I'm like I gotta get out of here, because I guess I'm I was pulling a geographic and thought okay, let me move back home because moving and moving and moving, like changing my job, changing my situation, like maybe that'll be the trick to helping me feel better. And oh wait, before like I moved back home, I got another job out there, but you know like just stayed a month and then. Yeah, I moved back home with my tail in between my legs, just feeling like a failure and not it didn't it still didn't cross that my mind that maybe, you know, alcohol was a big problem. Because at this point too, I was taking heavy psych meds that I should never mix with alcohol and yet that's what I was doing because um and so I moved back home and then I start um, you know, smoking some weed or just honestly smoking very little, but it just affected me very like I'm not a cool chill calm person when they smoke, when I smoke um or even when I drink um and then I mention like you know these other drugs cuz to me it's all the same like addiction is addiction like alcohol I use as an umbrella term to just anything that will change my like anything that will change how I feel from the neck up and so I do yeah I start smoking weed a lot and just isolating just staying in my room for like just I don't know how long but it felt like forever just isolating depressed, at times being a dry drunk. Um, because I honestly, like, you know, I never drink every day and I would binge drink though. And when I did drink, it was just, I was just insane. And, um, and I, I just want to say this too, because like, I, I really thought like, there's no way I could be an alcoholic cause I don't drink in the morning. I don't drink every day. But I remember hearing from people shares that when I'm hearing this a lot, that when I would when I try to control my drinking, it's not fun, and when I don't control it, that's when it's fun. And this is something that I just try to remember every day because I'm, I am an alcoholic through and through. Because that just it perfectly describes my drinking. Um. So yeah, I'm at home, um, going crazy. Get another job, like just tutoring some kids, and I thought it'd be easy because you know I thought, oh, kids won't notice if I'm air quotes depress, aka him but still living for the weekend like living the party living the drink and and then um I think it was this is just a few months before my sobriety date so I got sober January 22nd 2019 so 2018 the last half of 2018 is when man my mind was just racing non-stop I'd wake up and I just have nonstop thoughts of, I hate myself, I don't want to live, just 24-7. And saying it now, I feel like, wow, that's insane. Like, I can't believe that, like, my, I felt like I couldn't control my thoughts. But that's really how I felt. I just was never happy and just suicidal again. I remember Googling, like, how many tablets of this medicine that I was taking? I can't remember the name, but how many tablets would it take to that I wouldn't wake up? And of course, on Google, the first thing that pops up, it says like, are you having a problem? Please call this national health hotline. And I would just ignore it and be like, no, I don't have a problem. I'm just sad. I was, um, so I was just living like that and just isolating more. And at this point, like, um, my family is starting to get worried because my mom's saying, you know, like, you're not the same Lily, like you used to be smiling, loving, and now you're just always quiet and grumpy and, um, and I just, just, and when I would reach out to people, I would just be just terribly mean and just, and, and then, you know how people say there's like, we learn to have restraint of tongue and pen. Well, I had to learn how to restraint of my thumbs. Cause I would just have trigger thumbs and text people, terrible, mean paragraphs on going on and on about how they hurt me because, um, I didn't know how to handle my resentments. I was just my brain my heart all of me was flooded with the resentment from head to toe and and um so yeah that was leading me to my bottom I remember just feeling so lost telling and just asking my mom like you know take me to a church please because like I grew up we grew up Christian going to church some years go not going some years and um but I knew that I believe that there is a God I just I didn't believe in him. I didn't trust him. I didn't pray. I just saw as God as a Santa, but a Santa Claus. But he had that had let me down because I expected life to be this perfect, never ending, like just festival of good times. When of course, that's really unrealistic and immature. Um, but, yeah, I go to that church and, you know, I just ask someone to pray for me and I start just crying and breaking down, crying and just And I needed that because I couldn't cry on my own. Um, And, and I, like, like I said, like, I was just so numb. Um, And I just, again, felt so hopeless. Um, And I'd say this is like the worst part of my, like, this is the darkest part. Like the darkest night comes right before the dawn. Um, Because, you know, a few years before this, a few months even before this, like, again drinking would be my escape or drinking would let me feel my feelings i'd use i'd drink and get drunk and i'd slap people get angry cry for hours but then i after the next day i'd yes i'd be, be hungover and feel like crap but then i'd be like oh great alcohol let me get everything out of my system and let me process my emotions and but you know alcohol drinking is not a healthy coping skill but that's what i depended on at the time so Okay, so back to yeah, so going to that church and um still feeling hopeless and, and then Christmas comes around. Christmas twenty eighteen, man. Oh my god. So Christmas twenty eighteen. So I'm a short person and but on Christmas I decided to drink half a bottle of vodka and and just being a woman, like that much alcohol like should kill me. Like that much alcohol just Got me. I got super drunk, embarrassed myself in front of my family. And by this by this time, I knew that when deep down inside, like I didn't want to admit it to myself, but I just knew that Lily plus alcohol almost ninety nine point nine nine percent equals a bad mix. And my whole family was at this Christmas party, and I, and my cousin hands me a drink, and I have an instinct, gut instinct feeling that oh, maybe I shouldn't take this because you know, like I don't want to embarrass myself. Um, because by that time I started real realizing that, hmm, every time I drink, I kind of upset someone, you know, I flirt with someone's boyfriend. I break something or just, I do something insane, something mean, something heartless. And, um, or like I'll, I'll drink and totally just not care that I had agreed to be the designated driver. Um, so, but yeah, so my cousin hands me that cup. I know I shouldn't take a sip, but I take a sip anyways. I have no mental defense against that first drink, even though I knew that I shouldn't have taken a sip and but then, for some reason, as soon as I had that first sip, I'm just like,' eh, to hell, whatever, I'm just gonna get drunk and have fun. It's Christmas. I deserve this. I haven't drank in a few months, um, but I was you know super dry, no had no program and no spiritual program at all um. So, yeah, man, I start like twerking in front of my family like, oh, my God, like you don't know what twerking is. It's dancing very inappropriately. And to do that in front of my family, like, oh, I still get a little embarrassed thinking about it, man. And then so I go home and I just puke for the longest time, like and just I'm just throwing up. And then finally that stops. And I just try to pass out on the living room couch and I fade in and out of consciousness. And, you know, my niece and nephew I grew up with um we lived together for years the ones that my mom raised my older sister's kids my older sister moved to Hawaii like a long time ago while my niece and nephew were kids and um you know what she might be addicted to marijuana and I mean she might she probably would be but again I don't I hate to diagnose someone else um but I just say that so I guess because addiction does run in my family um I'm not sure about my birth family but I'll speak more about that and um and I guess that's something sorry but that's something I just struggled to accept too because I know I said earlier I'm like wait I don't think my family has any alcoholics but yet my adopted mom's dad was a full-fledged alcoholic and my um my half-sister's dad was a full-blown alcoholic so Yeah. So that's why, again, that's why I keep coming back. And that's why I keep coming back to meetings. And because I'm so forgetful like that, um, my brain can just play crazy tricks on me. But anyways, um, um, where was I? Um, okay. Yeah. Christmas. And okay. So, so I gain a little bit of consciousness. I feel like shit. I'm super embarrassed. I just know I'm gonna be hungover the next few days and my nephew's cousin, she's from in from out of town. And I just hear her ask my nephew, um, because of course they think I'm passed out, so I ask her I see her I hear her ask him, Is she always like that? Meaning like, do I always just get you know, crazy like that? And I know crazy is a loaded word and, and now I, I I make the conscious effort to say sick and not crazy, but in this situation I'm explaining crazy was the perfect word. um and man and then I see my nephew and he just nods yes like he doesn't say anything but man that part just breaks my heart because you know I love them like my own like as if they're on my my own siblings yet I had spent the last like 10 years um just being so mean and cruel to them and like even as a child just being um pushing them away and that really felt like the last like dagger just like that was when I was like man like I have a problem that made me realize because it's like it was just heartbreaking um and then the next day like I just I talked to my parents again and I'm just like I need help I don't know what to do and and my parents aren't very tech savvy they're they're a little older they adopted me like at um 39 and 42 and so they just told me like you know like please like just look up something on the internet like you know because we don't know how to help you and and at that point you know my mom was sick and tired of me like just being a just whining and just you know Complaining about all the ways she let me down every day, and and she just told me like, Lily, like I can't help you. Only you can help yourself. And when she told me that, I remember thinking like, God, that's so mean. Like, you're you're my mom. You're supposed to raise me and teach me and better me. But that was the greatest thing she could have ever. Like, that was the greatest lesson, the greatest gift she could have ever given me. Because something like that just flipped a switch somewhere deep in my brain and helped me to eventually seek out help. And I just want to add one more story too, but like, um, I think three, about three weeks after, it was Martin Luther King day. Um, an old coworker comes over to sleep over cause I was living um, like back home and she was sleeping over cause she had a client that was near me. So she wouldn't have to drive and she brings a bottle of wine and some cupcakes, you know, cause she's a, she's a me and knows how to be a good, um, guest. <laughs> and I just laugh because, um, being respectful and being a good guest is some things I've learned in sobriety. But anyways, um, so I, am I'm, I'm trying to listen to my friend talk. We're catching up and I, I tell myself I have work tomorrow. I can't drink. I know I can't drink. And, the thing is, it's like, I didn't, I didn't get drunk that night. I had one sip of wine, but I remember I had this, like, just the worst feeling in my stomach because I was so disappointed in myself. I, I, I just knew I shouldn't have drank anything because even a slip would get me, um, even just a tiny sip of wine would give me a head change. Like I'm, I have, um, a low tolerance for alcohol, always have. And, but just the fact that, like, I feel like, um, like, I just was so disappointed in myself that I wasn't strong enough to say no to a glass of wine. And she's an old friend. She wouldn't have cared if I drank or not. And yet um, I did that. And so that was, like, the last time I drank. Um, but the last big drunk was Christmas. And but those two events, like, together just brought me to my knees because it just really highlighted my my how I will as how I am not was an alcoholic and how I do have an addiction and a problem and man and and so I told myself okay I'll just you know I'll give my two weeks like notice at work or like um or let them know like you know I want to get help and um and I was just really lazy so that's why my brain like I automatically was just thinking like I'm gonna quit working and then (laughs) I'll start thinking about um trying to get sober um but the next day on the way to work, it was like, I lived an hour and a half from my job because of traffic. And, um, so in the middle of this bustling freeway and rush hour traffic, for some reason, like I get this weird conviction and I pull over on the side of the road and it's because this song came on the radio and, um, Christian radio was the only thing keeping me, I believe from just killing myself and I really wasn't that religious and and I know that like um especially for the newcomer like if if you don't believe in a higher power and you know just are into religion that's fine like you really don't have to like you can like literally believe that a chair is your higher power in AA because a chair would run our lives better than we do a chair just sits there and supports people and that's literally like what you know I never did never cared to do when drinking um my sponsor told me that and I just I just like have to remind myself okay just be like a chair sit still listen at meetings and just hold my tongue because sometimes like I'll just say like crazy mean stuff and support people and I need to support people be of service um um okay sorry where was I going okay um but yeah so on the way to work I hear this song and I just and I have to pull over and I feel like my higher power just kind of telling me like hey like Like, I literally feel like my higher power is tapping my shoulder saying, like, have you had enough yet, dude? Because I was so spiritually dead and empty and I felt so hopeless and so depressed. And I was only 23 and yet I felt all of this. And so I pull over, I start dry heaving and just I don't know how much time goes. But, you know, I just thought from then on out, I I went to this like uh, medical treatment center and. Um, it was kind of like an urgent care for mental health. And they send me to detox. Then that detox sends me to um, rehab. And in detox, I remember a social worker coming and asking if I want to go to rehab. And I just remember thinking like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to go so I can take care of this depression once and for all. So once again, another example of how I'm forgetful and, you know, my, how it was just, I was in detox because of alcohol. And yet I completely forgot all about it and was just thinking, sure, I'll go to rehab. It's, it'll be like a finishing school. I can finally learn to grow up and learn to be a responsible adult and have some social skills finally. And, um, so, you know, I get to rehab and like, again, it's like, it's just so crazy how this disease works where like, I forget that why I'm there. And I just, again, keep thinking I'm here to cure my depression and um, and after then, and rehab helps so much, um, when I was almost done with that 90-day rehab stay, um, my, my birth father reached out to me on, through Facebook, and, um, he'd been trying to find me under my birth last name, my original last name, and, um, it's just so funny how things line up, because, um, in 2018, the last, months before I got sober, I remember my adopted dad telling me like, why don't you try to look for your dad? And I mean, your, uh, my, your birth family, your mom and dad, all of that. And my dad was telling me like, maybe that will help you feel whole and at peace. And so, and luckily like Facebook had this new feature where you could put your, if you're adopted, you could put your birth last name. And so it's just so, it's just such a, amazing coincidence like everything lined up like Facebook has this new feature my adopted dad plans to seed in me to go find my family and then my birth father finally is able to find me on Facebook because I used the last name that my birth father knew me as um so he finds me and he lives in another country but he tells me all the information that I need to find my birth family that's still in LA. So he tells me my birth mother's name, her, you know, all her this, inf- her address, phone number, my older birth brother's name. And my birth brother and I have different dads, but, um, because I, because my birth father told me my birth brother's name, I found him on Facebook and, it was again, just another crazy coincidence. Like my God, my higher power has perfect timing because my birth brother was moving out of state in three days. And so we arranged to meet up right away the very next day before he moved, he and his family moved. And, um, so that was just, God. that was amazing. Such a surreal experience to be sober and to be able to meet, you know, to have new, to be reunited and have new family and, it was just so amazing, like to see someone that I look like and someone that can tell me about my family medical history and just where I come from and um and that was something that I couldn't articulate like i couldn't I didn't know how to verbally express that to my mom because you know my mom grew up very um in a third world country, she grew up in poverty and just grew up with a lot of abuse, I'm sure childhood sexual abuse and And with her first husband, extreme physical abuse and, um, you know, in our culture and during the time she grew up in, like, therapy was not popular. So, um, and I bring this all up because, like, I struggle still to, to, I struggle to be patient, loving, loving and tolerant with my mom because, um, you know, I have a lot of like irrational resentments toward her that I did. I literally had to do just write a 10 step about before this call. Um, But I was just a big thing where my mom was just wondering, like, why was I so curious about my birth family? And my adopted dad would explain to my adopted mom, like, you know, of course it's natural. She just wants to see where she comes from. And, and of course, though, my birth mom has a lot of like, emotional trauma herself so I can see like I understand now that you know she just didn't want to lose me to another mom because in like birthday cards still still write love your one and only true mom <laughs> and I remember having a therapist tell me like you know like um that therapist had been um she was explaining that like she had been thinking about adoption too but she was scared of the birth parents coming back and taking the kids so it's just funny how like all these different things, people and places come together to make the right things happen and to teach us all these lessons. And, um, so I'm just, I'm just so thankful I got to meet them sober and man, that rehab, like, gosh, like the counselors there were amazing. And I just, I learned so much. And then, man, like, you know, I didn't get that pink cloud right away. Um, probably well maybe it came in and out it's like um I have I still struggle with like bad memory I guess pause post acute withdrawal symptom but I remember it being difficult to get sober I mean to stay sober to stay sober um because I definitely like I I hope you know I that I did reach my rock bottom um already and then but basically so after that rehab I moved to sober living I lived there for two years throughout the pandemic, and um, at the time, while in sober living, I hated it. I remember thinking, "God, what am I doing with these crazy women?" and and yet forgetting the fact that hey, I was there too. And but that's what you know, my character defects. What I like to do, like I just like to judge. And um, but basically, like you know, I needed to live there. Everything that happens for a reason. Um, I put myself in my higher powers hands and just kept just kept trying to think like, okay I need to stay in this sober living. And and, you know, I did learn a lot. I learned a lot of social skills because social anxiety is a big thing that I used to struggle with. And, um, you know, honestly, I was a terrible roommate. I was so mean. And, um, you know, I made an amends to those roommates. And I just you know, I hope I just pray for them and constantly because I was, um, just newly sober and just, I mean, like just, I know like sober living is hard for everyone. So, but I'm thankful to have lived there. And it's so funny because by the time I moved out, I was just like really scared and thinking like, oh, I want to live here forever. How am I going to go to three meetings on my own every week? Because in sober living, like we're required to go. And it was the first time in my life I had discipline and structure. Like we had a curfew, couldn't have people over, um, had to drug test and, um yeah, it was just at the time, you know, I was ashamed to live there, but looking back, I'm like, man, like thank God I lived there. I'm so thankful that I got to live there. And so I move out and so I'm sober. Um my first sponsor, um I remember like my rehab roommate asked her to be my sponsor for me because I was digging my feet in the mud, just hesitant to ask someone to sponsor me. Um, but, you know, we became really good friends. Um, we were similar, of similar ages and, um, um, she's exactly the sponsor I needed at the time. Um, however, I do just have to say that, um, I wasn't working my program as well as I could have been. I was doing the bare minimum to stay sober and it was more of, I was doing the steps in 2019 in my first year of sobriety out of desperation, out of just, not wanting to feel suicidal anymore because in my first year of sobriety, I still felt suicidal. I still felt hopeless. Um, not completely hopeless though. I had like, um, by going to speaker meetings every night with my sober living, I was, you know, I was, those meetings were so crucial because they were like the little light at the end of the tunnel where I heard people go through the craziest, most sad things in life. And yet they're still sober and they're happy. Like they're genuinely happy. So, and. so that's why, like, thank God for meetings. And um, so back to like, okay, so I move out of my sober living. I'm so excited. I rent a room um, with some normies, and I kind of no, I not kind of. I really just I fall out of recovery. Like by the grace of my higher power, I stay physically sober, but I emotionally relapse, and an emotional relapse is so scary. And I just became just a super dry drunk again because. Um, there's periods when I was not in AA, like, not in recovery, when I'd be dry, and I, like, I would do some Zoom meetings, but I'd turn off the camera and not listen, and I got a Zoom sponsor, but in name only. I never called her. I, I would, and then when meetings opened up, I would go, like, once a week, but not listen, and go late, leave early, and God, it just got really bad that I was just pushing away all my loved ones, my sister, my mom, my best friend, my boyfriend. And, and I'm, you know, in sobriety, I'm so blessed to be in my first healthy relationship with a partner who's so understanding, so supportive, um, visited a meeting with me. And, you know, he like really respects AA. And, and yet, you know, in 20, this is 2021, I'm a dry drunk, just angry, irritable, discontent. And, and so, you know, I get suicidal again because that's where my mind goes. Like take away the drink and I'm take away the alcohol, I'm still an alcoholic because when I don't have like a spiritual program, like I just I don't want to live. I don't want to participate in life and and either I don't want to live or I want to live in a mental facility where I'm spoon-fed three times a day and where I'm in a nightgown just watching TV all day. Like that's my kind of like that like that was my idea of a break and I like to joke that normal people they would like to go on vacation to Hawaii for like a week but me and an alcoholic I just want to give up on life and get like locked up in an insane asylum so that's why like gosh like you know like I always hope to god that god if when I relapse like I hope I come right back to AA um but anyways like I 2021 was a wild year but now i see that um because hindsight's always 2020 like now i see that man like everything has had to happen and and so now looking back like i see that okay 2021 had to happen i had to reach a rock bottom so physically sober because it really like just being a dry, dry drunk like really just enforced in my mind that i am an alcoholic because like I said, like take away the alcohol and I don't want to live. And I remember like I went to this meeting around August of 2021. I just started crying because I had been holding up my feelings the past like six, seven months and just try like um, feeling numb. And then I was explaining like, I don't know what to do. and, And then an old timer reaches out after the meeting and and he says, like, you know, I wouldn't I usually wouldn't speak to, like, you know, a member of the opposite sex. But, you know, like I, my higher power is telling me just to pass this message to you. And he tells me, like, um, he just tells me, you know, like, find a sponsor within 30 days and find a home meeting, a women's home meeting. And I, I was like, what? I don't have time for that. I'm working. I'm studying for this, like my license for my job. And, um, you know, but. I just, I, I just knew I had to do it. Cause I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I didn't want to drink, but I didn't want to live. So it's like, what's the option? <laughs> so what's the last option? Um, so I go, you know, I find some meetings and, um, this, this kind, kind of woman, she comes up to me and says, I'll be your sponsor. And, but then I was still stubborn and I was like, no, I want to find my own sponsor because, you know, I want to like ask since like I was, I wasn't strong enough to ask my first sponsor the first time. Um, oh, and my first sponsor and I, we kind of just drifted because she was going through a lot in her family life and just stepped out of the program for a little bit. Um, came back, but, um, but by that time it was just, I was super dry. Um, and by dry, I mean like, um, you know, not working a program and just, and being difficult to be around. Um, Okay. So, so yeah, I find the sponsor, find a home group. She has me, um, meeting with her, um, every Saturday, 9am to do step work. I mean, 10am and, and, and this group of women, wow. The fellowship is really strong. Like my sponsor had a sponsor and there's just a lot of women. And, you know, at first I was really scared, um, because just meeting any group of new people can be pretty scary. Um, especially as an alcoholic but everyone has just been so welcoming and and I've been going to these meetings since September and and so I get involved I get a commitment I go on this retreat with them in the mountains just beautiful and and um you know even sober even like with my feet back in AA I I'll still have like I still had these like thoughts of like oh man like can I really do this? Do I wanna do this? Why can't I be a normie normal and not have to do meetings every day or every other day or read and do prayers in the morning? And um, but then Christmas twenty twenty-one. No, no, Thanksgiving. Like um the holidays are just super triggering for a lot of us in the program and um, having a you know being in a room with everyone who saw me at my lowest point aka twerking in the living room you know that's it's it's really hard because it's like it's like a mirror of just of my worst memories being like shown right in front of me and because you know of course in my new coworkers and new roommates new aa friends they didn't see all the you know all my like past actions um So I start going to more meetings. I start going every day. I start going to 7 a.m. meetings before work. And let me tell you this, like, I am not a morning person. I have never gone to a 7 a.m. meeting like in, you know, that at that at that sorry at that point, like two and a half years of sobriety. And but you know, I start going and I start coming earlier, start going, staying later. I start talking to people and getting numbers and actually calling them and actually texting them because the phone feels like 10,000 pounds a lot of the times. And I still struggle to call people, but, um, but just, I start to feel a part of like more a part of, because, um, um, like I just realized that, man, like I, I really need AA and, um and a part of me at the time was a little embarrassed because it's like man like i have like two years i should be you know stronger in my sobriety than this but that's just my ego talking um i've come to learn it doesn't matter how much time like i have that what matters is the quality of my sobriety not the quantity um so so now today like i have a home group um two home groups that i go to tuesday and thursday nights i have commitments at both and um, never held on to a commitment longer than a month. <laughs> so now I'm like holding on to them until they end and um I'm welcoming newcomers and I, I call my sponsor and I I do these daily meditations and prayers in the mornings. Um by meditations I mean like the daily reading, like the twenty four hour a day book, twenty four hours a day book. And, and I've never done this in all of my sobriety. Like, um in my first and second year I'd just wake up and be like, God help me. That's all I could do at the time and um, and again, everything happens when when you yourself are ready, because my first sponsor, she was just a, like a really nice friend. She made me comfortable and just believe that, OK, I can be an an alcoholic because my first sponsor was my age. And just, you know, on the outside, just so picture perfect, married, own her home, own home, um, getting promoted at work, wearing Louis Vuittons. And I was like, man, I want to be just like her. So. Having her as my first sponsor made me comfortable in my own skin and accept that, yes, like I could be, I could, keyword is could possibly be an alcoholic. And then my Zoom sponsor, she was super sweet and just so warm. And she was there when just, you know, to, I feel like to gently deliver me to my next sponsor. And then my third sponsor who I met at the in-person meetings, like um, recently, she's, um, she's very, like, just very disciplined, very wise. And, and, you know, I needed her because I needed to suit up, show up and learn to, to wake up at 6am and call someone every day at 6am. Cause that's what her and I did. And, and now I'm on my fourth sponsor. Um, and I just started working with her and, She's so sweet and nice, but thank God I didn't work with her three months ago because I totally would have taken advantage of her and just lie and not do my, not read in the morning, not pray in the morning. And, you know, this past month, no, this past, yeah, this past month has actually been really rough because my third sponsor, um, I, she's moving, um, across the country because, um, to, you know, to live with her family, which is so understandable. Um, but I was just absolutely heartbroken by that because I just I was just thinking that oh wow finally I'm starting to build roots put down roots in AA I'm starting to have a fellowship I'm starting to actually you know get in the middle of the herd and I'm starting to stick with the winners I'm starting to actually like have a program of action because the first two and a half years I was just it was I was barely maintaining a, my spirituality and but like how the book says to recu- to stay sober we have to have a spiritual program and we also have to have a program of action and um so so that was something tough to deal with and something like um but in a you know in a way just it taught it's taught me a lot that. Um it's opened my eyes to how I process things because I my first instinct when I hear like not the best news is to shut down and to just not to not process it until you know, until I hold it in and then finally explode on whoever's nearby and take it out on them and you know, and that's not right. So um so yeah, all of this so far, that's my experience and that's just brought me to where I am today. And I just celebrated three years of sobriety last Saturday and I just, I remember I told my friend like, oh, we'll just play some board games at our AA club and it'll just be chill and casual. And, um, you know, she set up decorations for me, got me this huge balloon. Like, and, um, I had friends show up and, you know, give me presents and man, like I was just, I was just so amazed and thankful. And because today, like I have real friends who care and who notice like when I walk into a meeting and and feel off my friend like my very good friend she'll be like what's wrong like let's talk and and I never had that before because the friends or the so-called friends that I would choose you know would we didn't care about each other we were just trying to we were just trying to see like okay, who's down to go drink for 24 hours straight? Who's down to go to Vegas for 10 days? Because that's what I did. And, um, and you know, I haven't been a part of this, like this AA community in this new city that I live in for too long, but God, just the miracle of this program is that for about four months of getting back into a serious AA program has healed me, has helped me, has given me so much strength and hope so much more than one year of working with a therapist when I was in sober living like it's helped me 10 times more than that ever did and I'm not knocking down on therapy like I needed therapy and I, I will probably need it again in the future and I look forward to talking to my old therapist when major life events happen but what I mean to say is that you know therapy alone isn't enough psych meds alone isn't enough um, you know, just having like, like no one person, my family, my boyfriend, no one's ever going to love me enough. Nothing is ever going to be good enough to fix me and to fill the God-sized hole in me. Like I know today that only AA can help me and only AA is what keeps me going because I, like I said I still struggle with character defects like I still struggle with working <laughs> my new year's resolution is to actually just work and to not like steal company time and I know that's so like embarrassing and immature but that's where I'm at and but um and but I just want to say that like you know like don't let the life aA gave you take away no don't let your yeah don't let the life aA gave you take away your aA life because that's what happened that's what I did in 2021. AA gave me this great life where I got to live on my own and not in an institution like a sober living, AA got, AA allowed me to have a healthy partner and healthy friends. And yet, um, you know, I strayed away from AA and it took me right back to suicidal thoughts. And so what I mean to say is just, you know, work a program, get a sponsor and, um, just you know reach out when you need help cuz close mouths close mouths don't get fed and just it can be hard like honestly it's it's a simple program but it's not easy because we're, we're complicated people and i just want to say like you know not every day is perfect or even great but like man like before you know before getting sober i would spend months years angry about the same thing i was so angry that i felt like i could kill someone and But then today it's like when I'm angry, the longest it'll last is like a few days. And, and today when I wake up in the morning, I, I literally will think, wow, thank you God for another day. And that's not for me. Like, um, like when I wake up and think that like positive thoughts like that, like, which is most days, I'm just always surprised at myself. I'm like, whoa, like, wow, that was not me. That was my higher power taking over and just giving me a huge blessing. And I don't want to ever take for granted. And, um, so that's just the biggest blessing that I've been given in this program. Just the gift of a serene and clear mind where I don't have to be afraid of living in my own skin. I don't have to, I don't have to be scared anymore today. And and also, this might sound a little, like, you know, just controversial, but today, I love my dad. I've forgiven my dad. I've accepted how who my dad is. He did the best he could with what he had. And being sober and getting to know him more and actually having conversations with him and learning how he lived and grew up and how he was homeless at 17, like, and just went through all of this stuff and lost his dad at a young age. Like, it's not an excuse, like— of course, like, um, like I've learned to have boundaries, like, and to, um, just, you know, quite frankly, it's like, I'm not going to let my future children alone with my dad, but at the same time, like today I can appreciate him. I can be thankful for the fact that he adopted me and that when I had car problems, he just offered to help right away without a blink of an eye. And, and it's not, but, but also I want to stress that, like, it's, I don't take my family, my parents for granted anymore. I'm not just thinking, what can they give me? Because that's how I lived before. It's like, what can so-and-so do for me and to make me happy? I never thought about their needs. But today, like, I know how, or I'm, I'm better at being a daughter. I'm not perfect. I'm not great. But I'm better at being a friend and a sister and a girlfriend, a partner, a roommate. Like, today I take out the trash without, like, waiting till it's overflowing and I make my bed every morning, and I'm not like saying this to brag. I'm just saying that, like, these are things that healthy people do, yet I only can do these normal things, like bathe regularly and brush my teeth regularly because of AA, because of AA teaching me to suit up and show up and do things when I don't want to do, because it doesn't matter if I want to do them or not. Um, and now I, like, for example, instead of, um, you know, going to visit my parents and and waiting for them to serve me, like I'll start, you know, I'll bring them food and, or I'll do dishes there. I'll just help around the house because I've taken, I, all I've done is take, take, take. And now I know today that there's beauty in giving and being of service because it's hard. And also it's hard to just change one's attitude by, by themselves. Like I can't change my attitude by myself. I have to get out of myself and help someone else, um, like talk to a newcomer and just, because that'll get me out of my head. And, um, so yeah, that's, um, that's my story. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you, Lily. I, I'm surprised that you're 28 because you're so wise. 26. You're 26 now? Yeah. Yeah. You're very wise. And I, Really appreciated hearing everything you said about your experience. I can relate to so much of it. I want to say happy birthday. Three years is amazing. And four months back in after being dry and the peace and serenity that you have already found is a testament to the program and the people in the program that just like embrace us and love on us. Mm -hmm. Do you love yourself today? Today? Yes. Yes. Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah, I love myself. Wow. Like, yeah, I just had a, like, light bulb moment, like a memory of, like, um, my birthday, a birthday where, like, that's what I said. I remember just saying, like, man, I love myself today. And that's the biggest blessing.
0: I loved what you said about, about when you didn't you said the toxic judgmental thoughts is like a symptom of you not loving yourself Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. so wise it's so wise if I had known that at 26 and lived by that Uh, so I'm happy to hear that you love yourself today and I'm happy to hear that you're back in the fold a couple questions oh yeah for sure Okay. So, oh, okay. I did really like what you said about the various sponsors and how they fit different needs of your program. And I, and I think that that's really worth noting for the newcomer that changing sponsors is okay. I always admire those that have the same sponsor for 20 or 30 years, but I definitely appreciate, I needed something very different when I was new than what I need now and probably what I'll need in a few years. So your anxiety and depression today, you spoke to it a bit, but does the program and your relationship with your higher power and the people in the program, uh, help with the tendency to go dark and suicidal and hopelessness?
1: Definitely. Like. Like, um, you know, I'll be honest, like I'll still get dark thoughts, but then today that like today just, um, like AA will like creep back in like AA, um, like coping skills, like because of the meetings and because of my sponsor and friends in AA, like I'll be reminded like, okay, when I feel like that, like open up my big book, um, or go to a meeting, call somebody or, or go out for a walk versus before, like I, like I would just sit in those feelings and like stew in them. So, I hope that makes sense. Like today it's like, okay, now like I have hope, like there is a way out. <laughs> like I don't have to get stuck in in those things.
0: Yeah, it makes sense to me. I it, it I love I love your honesty. The whole the whole idea that your your brain plays tricks on you and you corrected yourself in your story. You're like, "Well, I was just saying this and this and that is the trickiness of my mind as well." Well, final question for the alcoholic or newcomer or dry, drunk listening. What message would you like to leave with them?
1: Hmm. Let's see. Um, I guess I just want to say that, you know, you're just, you're not alone. Um, like no matter what happens, no matter what you've done or said, like you're not alone and just, you know, keep coming back to a meeting um if you don't like one meeting check out another meeting because um the odds are really high in AA that you'll find you know just a super welcoming and loving community and and that you know there's hope like um like I love how you asked if I love myself today because I'm just like oh wow like I wish I had said that right away in my share because it's like man like that's it's just such a big gift like something just as simple as being to able to able to just say like you know what like I can accept myself and love myself so just don't feel alone keep coming back to meetings and just you know no matter like how you're feeling especially like to like someone who's never been to AA before and hasn't heard about like the promises coming to life um that like you know it's all possible there's hope
0: for more information read the first 164 pages of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or visit keepcomingback.net